I'm Drew Bedard, and this is Marketing That Works, a podcast about the tools, tips, and tactics that business owners and marketers need to wow their customers and grow their profits. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Really excited to have a special guest on the show this week. His name is Remy Stern. Remy is the author of a great book called But Wait, There's More, which he published about 10 years ago um, about the infomercial industry. So for all us marketers out there, all us marketing nerds, um, this is a must read and must pick it up. I believe it's on Amazon on Kindle, but I'll put it in the show notes. You can also find it in a lot of used bookstores. Um, but it is a great book. Remy is a former editor at Radar, a former editor at a website called City File. He's also written for News Corporation, for New York Magazine, for New York Post. So he's a prolific writer. And now he is a coach and consultant, um, digital coach and consultant for companies to, to really work on their digital strategy. So I really appreciate him being on the show this week. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. You're going to get some really good tips and tactics that he learned during his research um, into the infomercial industry, which I think is something that all of us marketers need to learn about. So without further ado, enjoy the interview with Remy Stern. All right, Remy Stern, welcome to the Marketing That Works podcast. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Drew. Great to oh, be here. It's my pleasure, man. And uh, I reached out so for everybody who's listening today, I reached out to uh, listening and watching. I'll probably use some of this video as well. Um, I reached out to Remy because I found a very interesting book um, in my uh, lifelong search for marketing knowledge, um, a book called But Wait, There's More, and by this guy who's on the podcast right here. And Remy has written a really, really interesting book on infomercials, which is a topic that um, I'm so curious about, and there are great stories within the book. But Remy, I want to jump right in off the top, and we'll probably get deeper into the book. But you know, through your time writing, consulting, um, writing this book, what what do you feel like? Just right off the top, what do you feel like is marketing that works, even in 2020? Um, you know, I think I think knowing your audience is so important and knowing your target market. And I think that's what these guys really were really, really good at knowing their audience. And then, um, you know, I think they don't get a lot of credit, especially sort of back in the eighties and nineties when that, when the infomercial industry really started to, to, to grow and become ubiquitous, the power of, of data and the power of testing, which, which I think, Honestly, they were at the forefront of before we had sort of digital marketing and the ability to run lots of tests and really, you know, um, do that sort of performance um, driven marketing that we have today. I mean, they were doing it with, with you know, 1-800 numbers in the 1980s and they were obsessed with data. Um, even the, you know, the founders of, you know, QVC or HSN, I mean, that was what set them apart at the time. They, they were all about data. How is this performing? How do I... Um, optimize either my offer or um, um, you know the the the, pre the demonstration that we're doing of this product to to you know to to drive sales and you know if, if you think back to the 80s I mean no one was really thinking about data at that time you know you had you had your 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 ad that you created and you put it out there and you hope people would buy your product um, 
with TV, these guys were creating, you know, 20 versions of the same infomercial and tweaking them slightly and putting them on different stations and trying to figure out what worked. And so I, I you know, I think, I think that was, that was a really interesting discovery. Yeah. And I think, um, and, and again, you talk about this in your book, but wait, there's more. So I'm going to put that in the show notes, of course, for everybody to go pick up. Um, and it's on, on Amazon. I think you can get it on Kindle, but I was able to find it um, through some other booksellers, but it, it's, a, it's a great book. But when you're talking about data, it's really the only piece of data that matters. And that's what these guys, the these guys and, the, and men and women that were really pioneers, which is the conversion data, like nothing else mattered other than getting people on the phone and converting them. And you do talk about in the book, the upsell piece, but it is so interesting that, you know, they're spending their money on, you know, what could have been a short spot, but most of the time were these 20 or 30 minute spots, or maybe even, you know, maybe even longer with Ron Popeil and different things like that. Um, but yeah, talk about that a little bit more about the, you know, the direct marketing aspect, the conversion aspect of it. And, you know, you talk about some of those, some of those tactics, maybe at the end of an infomercial. So just talk about some of those that, that are inside the book. Like we talked about a little bit off air was the irresistible offer, but some of those things. Yeah. I mean, you know, it really depended on the product. There were products that they could really demonstrate in the course of 60 or 90 seconds. It was a pretty simple product and you really didn't need a long demonstration. So there was no sense in purchasing, you know, a half hour spot to um, demonstrate something pretty, pretty simple. But then you had a product like an oven, right? A kitchen gadget that could do 125 different things, right? So you really wanted to walk the consumer through all of the, um, you know, potential applications. And they realized that, you know, as you showed them another thing that they could do, it just upped the sort of perceived value of that, of that product. And I, I always find it, you know, it worked with me that like they would show things that you would never in your life probably ever do. But in your head, you said to yourself, this product is more valuable because, you know, I could, I could use it for this food and that food. And they may not even be foods you like, right? But what was so um, so magical about it is that you thought in the back of your head, well, if I ever wanted to make that food, um, now I would have the kitchen gadget that would allow me to do that. So, um, so for those longer infomercials, you know, they really structured them. They realized that people, I mean, this is the challenge, right, of late night television, and, like infomercial marketing is like, I've got to get you up off the couch at two o'clock in the morning. I've got to get you to go to a phone in those days. I've got you to go get your wallet, take out your credit card, call a number um, and purchase a product. That's really, really hard to do in the middle of the night when you're sleepy and you're sitting on the couch. They also, you know, realized that they had to get you um, to, um, they couldn't sort of wait until the very end of the infomercial to, because people would tune in for just sort of a handful of minutes. Mm -hmm. So they really structured them into sort of like three blocks where they would do a demonstration kind of, um, show you what the offer was, um, then, you know, put the number on the screen, you're building momentum to this call to action, you know, and often the first one wasn't sort of for six or seven minutes into the infomercial. Um, and then make you think that, um, that there was a very limited time period when which you could off, you could order this product at this price. Right. So the scarcity, this, urgency, right. Play. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they were very, very clever about how they, how they did that and would often, um, you know, do several versions of it and test, which would work the best. 
Um, and then, you know, put a countdown on the screen, which they were the first to, you know, you know, you, you see that maybe on, on game shows and, but, you know, the idea of putting a countdown actually on the screen and, um, and, and creating this urgency to get to the phone to, to order this product. And then it would really sort of start again They'd go back to the kitchen and show other potential applications for this device and kind of go through the sequence. Um, you know, three times in the course of, 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 a, of a 30 minute infomercial. Um, and, you know, it was, um, um, it, it was the product of a lot of trial and error and, mm -hmm. and seeing what was going to convert people into purchasing that, that product and what was the best way to sort of structure that offer. Should it be, um, you know, four payments, should it be five payments? Mm. Uh, you know, what, what should the price look like? What should we throw in to sort of create, you know, this perception that there's more value there? So, um, you know, the, like, um, that sort of irresistible offer. So you get to the get to the very end, and they say, "We're going to give you two of these." Right. Um, you know, for only ten dollars more, you're going to actually get two of these. So you're going to get one for you, and you're going to give one to give to your mom for Mother's Day, which is right around the corner. How amazing is that? You're going to get one, and your mom is going to get one, all for the same price. I mean, it was just, it was the kind of it was the kind of marketing that like get got people to leap off the couch at two o'clock in the morning run to the phone with their credit card and order it, which was just, just amazing when you, when you, I'm, I'm yeah, the, the, so I want to touch on, I want to touch on that for a second. The, the learning that, that you did on the, the double, the offer, I find myself and, and just being a marketer, like I watch ads with more intention. Most people are kind of consuming them in the general sense. I'm always kind of watching the formula, the, that, the breakdown, and it always, it, it never ceases to amaze me that that part of the formula, the double the offer at the end, because, and I'd love for you to, to give your thoughts and background on this, is that it feels like what they're doing is they're anchoring you, and again, this irresistible offer, they're anchoring you that it is amazing and it's worth a lot. And then they show you a price and then they say, but we're going to double your offer for the same price and throw in free shipping and throw in something else. So that's why it gets people to act because they're like, they were already thinking the higher offer was a good offer. And this just made it unbelievable. So did, did you see that? I mean, is that, is that part of what has come out of this entire research? Yeah, I mean, I think that there were different ways to kind of create that offer. So you could, you could double what you were you know, the give people two for the price of one. You could also not share what the price is. And Ron Popeil, um, who is really sort of like, you know, legendary in the infomercial space and um, is, you know, has sold so many products successfully. I mean, billions. And you got to spend some products. time with him. And yeah. I got to spend time with him and he was just amazing. Um, you know, he often wouldn't share what the price is at all during sort of the buildup and then would start saying, you know, I mean, he, he had this countdown that was just, if you, you can find it on YouTube and it's worth watching just because it's magical where he would say, you know, this, this uh, Showtime rotisserie should really be worth $249, but you're not going to get it for $249 and you're not going to get it for $229 and you're not going to get it for $189 or $169 or $149 or $129 or $119 or not even $99. And I can't, obviously do it justice because you have to watch him. Yeah. Um, he, he's the master. And, you know, he set this expectation that this was a, that this product was worth $249 at the outset. And then by the time he's discounted it to, you know, 
Um, and he never actually tells you what the actual full price is when he discounts it, you know, all the way down to four payments of, you know, 1995. And that's a very intentional. They actually never tell you what the full price is. They always tell you it's the payments and what the payment is because they never want to say, you know, it's $99 or it's $89. It's always four payments of 1995, right? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, because you just perceive it as less. If I tell you this is, you know, four payments of 1995, your brain, and they've done psychological research, your brain perceives that as less than telling you that it's a hundred bucks. Um, and it's just ama it's amazing how they've, you know, they, they figured this kind of stuff out on the fly. And then you, you know, you go to, um, you know, the professionals, the scientists, and they'll tell you that they've done, you know, tests in labs and found out that this is true, you know, mm. which I always found just amazing. Um, and, you know, by the time he tells you it's four payments of 1995 or four or 1795, whatever it is, um, you know, you've started at $249 and now you're at this irresistibly low price. Um, he doesn't have to double, you know, the, the, he doesn't have to give you two ovens for the price of one. Maybe he's going to throw in a set of kitchen, a kitchen tools that um, maybe he's going to throw in a recipe book. I mean, it was all those kitchen products often, you know, dicers and slicers and ovens would often come with um, a recipe book. And often it was actually the same recipes that were just recompiled in a recipe book that they would just, you know, it was, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that they could, they could produce for free. Um, that cost nothing to send you a big recipe book, but that just upped the value in your mind. Um, and I think, you know, certainly these days, thinking of things that you can do to kind of create more value around that offer and things that you can do that are really sort of no incremental cost as a marketer to add to the package. You know, I, I mean, I, I, um, I often buy, will buy something on Amazon and it will say, um, you know, it comes in a, in a, in a, in a, in a carrying case and I'll, I'll ascribe value to that because I'm, I'm buying some like kids toys and and then I'll say, well, it comes in a really nifty carrying case. And I actually, you know, in my mind, if I see two products, one comes in a carrying case, one doesn't, I will assign value to that carrying case and it costs them five cents, what, to throw in a little carrying case, maybe five cents to, to add that to the, to, you know, to the offer. But I thought that kind of stuff works. You're raising that sort of the, the value in the consumer's mind. Yeah. Um, and I think they were really good about doing that in, in, on, on infomercials, just making it so compelling that you just felt, you felt, you felt, you know, like not buying it would be, would be, would be dumb. So I want to ask a question about repetition. You talk about that a little bit in the book. Do you, but I, but I was curious to ask you this coming out of, coming out of the book. Um, do you feel like repetition of the same thing over when I, I'll, I'll get there in just a second. So repetition of the same exact line over and over again, or the demoing, because when I think about the demoing of a flex seal or a Billy Mays back in the day of they were doing repetition, but they were doing it with different demos. They were basically saying this works on this and this works on this and this works on this. So maybe those are two different things, but what are your thoughts on repetition? Yeah, I mean, I think repetition really, really works. I mean, I, I, you have to do it in a way where it doesn't feel repetitive to the person who's listening, because if it really feels like they're just saying the same thing, people will tune, will tune out. But, you know, if you, if you see somebody um, like, you know, uh, that's doing a demonstration on an infomercial, they're often, you know, they've got a, maybe they've got a slogan that they keep coming back to. Um, 
you know, for Ron Popeil, it's set it and forget it. Oh, um, right. Okay. And yeah, uh, right. I remember so you they'll, mentioning that. Yeah, they'll, they'll go they back get the to crowd sort of, into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at, but they, they will also sort of repeat themselves in doing that demonstration because honestly, like, you know, for, for Flex Seal, for example, um, he's just showing you uh, a thousand and one things that you can use with Flex Seal. Um, and he's making the same point again and again and again and again. But he's doing it in slightly different ways with slightly different applications just to drive home that point and that you know it, it when you when you um have that repetition combined with also that energy which is something that you really you know that was what got me watching infomercials you know when i in the 80s when i was you know a teenager was um was you saw these guys that were larger than life i mean and and i, I was amazed you know in doing my research to find out that a lot of these guys had come from county fairs where they were you know pitching products at the fair, doing demonstrations, and then, you know, took their skill set to, uh, um, to television. I mean, Ron Popeil was, you know, had little kitchen tools that he was uh, on the boardwalk in uh, Atlantic City demonstrating, um, in, you know, as a teenager. And, you know, those kinds of people often develop these people skills, and they can read a crowd, which, of course, we can't do really these days when we're marketing a product, you know, on, on, online. Um, but if you can if you can look out and read a crowd and see what engages them, and what they're paying attention to, like that helps a lot. And that was that was the skill set that these guys developed, having you know done it in person. I mean, you can still go to the county fair and you see someone with a you know ShamWow like product that they're demonstrating. I don't know if you if you if yeah, into cookware the fair, or something. Yeah. yeah, and you know they've got their little headset microphone and yep. they'll get a crowd around and. You know, maybe they'll promise they're going to give something away just to draw on that initial crowd. Um, and, you know, they'll engage people, they'll talk to people in the crowd and kind of get them going. And, and there's an energy and a, and a um, conviction in the product that really comes through. Like these people are absolutely convinced that this product will change your life. Um, and, and that, that passion is, is so important because if you, do, you know, if you're, you know, you can't, waver at all uh, right it has to be this that people really respond to that you know that 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 confidence right and you know uh, one thing i had always wondered about in the 80s and then i realized that there was science behind it was that you had a lot of like english hosts and australian hosts that were on these infomercials in the early days like uh, anthony sullivan um, yes. was one of those english hosts and what they realized was actually Americans were would be more convinced if it was a, an English person speaking because they sounded like more authoritative. I don't know. We thought that if you're English, like you're you probably know what you're talking about. Right. More you're than smarter, more sophisticated. Right. Right. Yep. Um, and so they started bringing over all of these English like hosts to do these infomercials because they realized that you know it it, it worked, um, which is really just you know just just more speaks more to the kind of science behind a lot of what they were doing which was right. which was which is really interesting yeah because it seemed like the the show aspect of it the energy the flair um that's the art maybe behind it is that you need a true artist or a person who can who's you know almost like a theater actor can can play the part and can sell the story but then there's the science behind it of how you build the blocks to get to the highest conversion rate possible right Right. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was, um, it's thinking through sort of every, um, every element of the show. Um, 
you know, I think um, Greg Renker of Guffey Renker, which is, you know, one yep. of the biggest um, uh, direct response companies, um, you know, when he was thinking about proactive in the early days, one of the big complaints they got was that as an acne product, it dried out your skin. And so from that point on, he said, anytime we show the bottles of proactive, I want to show water sort of surrounding those bottles. I want, you know, drops of water on the bottle. I want a waterfall behind it. I want to, I want to counteract that perception of drying out your skin with just with liquid, with water. That's, and, that's amazing. And, and, you know, the soft drink companies, um, you know, Coke and Pepsi would often, often you'd see, you, you'll, you'll still see condensation of water right. and condensation because it just makes it that much more. This was, this was sort of different because this was an acne product that you're not really, they're not supposed to drink. So it's not supposed to feel like we're like, this is a refreshing beverage, but it is, it was, it was a psychological tactic to counter up that, that, that idea that maybe this is going to dry out your skin. And so there was, you know, there's, there was a, a lot of this sort of science that went into sort of building every element of, um, you know, of the infomercial from, um, you know, I was, I always thought it was interesting. They would, you know, when they would show you a before and after, um, they would always, the before would often be in black and white, or they would even just desaturate the color a little bit. Sure. And you still, I mean, you still see this today, um, you know, in commercials where, um, uh, you know, the, the before is really supposed to be joyless and void of color and void of happiness and void of promise. And then when I show you the product's going to change your life, they'll saturate it even more. They'll make it more colorful, more vibrant. Yep. Um, they'll, they'll make the picture sharper, right? Yep. They'll, they'll make the before blurry. They'll make the after sharper. I mean, that's just very subtle often. And, and um, but it, you know, psychologically it, it works. It's, it's, you know, this is, this was your miserable life before, and this is how great your life will be once right. you buy this product. And you see that a lot in the fitness space too, like why P90X probably did so well is because they were constantly, and I think you touched on this in the book too, about testimonials, but like how many people they showed who were fat and miserable, and then they became these, and you did, you see, you even saw a change, not only in their tone and energy, but in the color of how they use the scenes, because it was always, yeah, you were sitting in a dark room in an old yeah. lounger and they're <laughs> fat on the floor, whatever it is. Yeah. In this vibrant environment, um, sweating and, you know, looking good yeah. and stuff. Yeah. There's a lot like in the, before, if it's a kitchen product in the before, there are a lot of dirty dishes piled up in the sink. Mm-hmm. And then in the after the kitchen is spotless, you know, it's like, it has nothing to do with the product, but it's just like, you know, I mean, it's not a product that's going to do your dishes for you. It wasn't a dishwasher. You know, it was a. You're right. And now it, that now that you say that, I mean, I think about that with every single sort of kitchen product, the egg things or the, yeah. um, the the you know stovetop dishes and and pans and different things like that, the ceramic and things that just fly off the eggs. And but when they do the before, it's always this yeah, dirty sink, dirty household, and yeah, it's amazing what people can learn from it. So Remy, For you sure. talked about that you're, you, you, obviously you're, you're still a writer and you're, you're writing um, from time to time, but you're doing a lot of consulting. Are you consulting companies on this type of marketing or general marketing and, and helping people build their strategy? Um, I'm really focused on, on digital strategy. So helping mm-hmm. um, not just with relate with 
with regard to commerce, but helping a lot of digital media companies kind of create successful digital businesses that mm. are mostly ad supported businesses. Um, so a lot of um, um, different media news organizations create really successful digital media products, websites, apps. Um, and so I've been doing that for really for the last uh, 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, infomercial book really came out of just a, you know, I, I just as a teenager watched there was nothing else on if you remember in the 80s uh, like absolutely you turn on the tv late at night and you saw these amazing demonstrations and you know i mean there was one for a um um for a car product where they would set a car on fire just to show you how how um, um how amazing this uh this um was it like uh, a wax or something right or it was a wax i'm trying to trying to remember the yeah. name of the product it was a and you could set your car on fire, and it was just—it was just amazing television back in the day. Um, and so I would watch these, and and occasionally, you know, would beg my mom for her credit card so I could order some of these products and and try them out. And of course, you know, they didn't always work as expected. Um, and then also just loved the sort of these hucksters with with you know with uh, get rich quick schemes, which I also you know, invariably as a teenager thought I was going to become a millionaire and um, you know show my parents. Um, and, and yes. bought a couple of those, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, um, buy real estate for, for no money down and, and become a uh, real estate. Uh, oh, the no down. money down commercials. Uh, I remember that guy walking around the houses and, and you know, what's funny, Remy is, and I'm sure you're noticing this is, um, the people that have lasted kind of through the generations and different. So who have evolved with marketing, because like, um, a guy I follow really closely is Russell Brunson, and he's always doing programs with one of the early, well, two of the early infomercial pioneers, which is Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi. And they're like, they're still in the game today, but they've just evolved their marketing over time. And I just think that that's, that's so interesting. And it's, and it's really cool to actually see them talk about it now. But I remember Dean's programs were something about selling cars flipping cars or something like that that was like one of his early ones and of course tony's were all the personal power products and different things like that and he you know tony's um um i met tony um, very briefly years ago and i mean it's he's he is so electrifying you can see why people pay him so much money just to you know just to go to one of his uh you know multi-day courses he's just it it's just like i felt like i was like electrocuted just right. shaking his hand and looking at him i mean you could you, you know he could start a cult and have you know millions of followers and in an instant yeah. i mean he's just such a presence um and you know he uh, is still at it i mean he's not really on television with traditional infomercials anymore um, he doesn't really have to because he can do, um, you know, he has a big enough following these days where he can, you know, do these seminars and charge people fifty thousand dollars to, you know, attend a, uh, you know, four day seminar in in Hawaii. Um, but a lot of these guys are still around. They've kind of reinvented themselves as sort of the the, the uh, culture has changed a little bit, and you know, certain things have gone out of style, and new things have come, you know, into style. Um, some have, you know, done so well and have made so much money that they've retired and don't have to be doing this anymore. Um, so it's, you know, and, and, and then there are a whole bunch have gone to jail because they, you know, promised the cure for cancer on television late at night. And, uh, eventually the FTC caught up with them and shut them down. So, right. um, it's a mix. 
Yes. Um, that's interesting that you say that about, about Tony, because um, somebody who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, Catherine Jones, she said, um, people pay for proximity. And it's what's really interesting about when you and I were growing up, you're probably just a, a few years older than me, because I was growing up in the 80s as well. Um, but that indirectly, those guys, just like you met with Ron Popeil, it's like, those guys, those men and women who were on those infomercials became TV stars just, yeah. just because, you know, and I don't think that that was their initial intention. I'm sure they, for the ego part of it, they loved being on TV, but now Tony has turned that into, again, like you said, they'll pay for the date with destiny and you'll pay him $25,000 to be in the same room with him. It's more about proximity than it is, is even about the content, which is so interesting that that's happened. Yeah, they became, they, you know, everybody was seeing them late at night. And so they just became pop culture figures. And right. Uh, how many, you know, Tony Robbins has been, um, you know, been, I think, impersonated on Saturday Night Live three times. Um, you know, like you've got to reach a certain level of pop culture status before they're making skits about you. Right. Um, on, on SNL. And that happened to a whole bunch of um, uh, infomercial stars where they just, you know, uh, I think um, Jim Carrey on his skit show back in the day, you know, did in living uh, color. Did, yeah. Yeah. Did, did a whole bunch of impersonations of infomercial stars. Um, and even Dan you know, Aykroyd with the early, the seventies SNL when he did the, yes. Like the pocket fisherman. Yep. Yeah. The fish <laughs> vegematic, whatever it was like. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> fantastic to rewatch that. Yeah, I mean, it's just it just speaks to what a what a what a you know big presence they had in all of our lives because they were you know if you think about it they were on TV more than the stars of you know eighties TV shows right you, know, you might watch late night low dollar you know kind of excess um, TV ads that that yeah. stations just needed to fill right I mean there were nights where you could flip the channels and see you know a Tony Robbins on three different stations all at the same time right. And, you know, a, a t the TV star of, you know, the biggest show might be on one hour a week. And then, you know, Tony Robbins might be on, you know, 25 hours a week, given, you know, all the spots that were getting purchased um, on, on all these stations late at night as, you know, as all the, as, as the cable universe grew and there was all this airtime that had to be um, filled. And, you know, all of these cable networks realized, hey, we can sell all, <laughs> all this time to yeah. uh to companies produce who produce infomercials so remy before i ask you um one I'll, I'll probably keep it short and ask you one rapid fire question but what do you think so this you know the show really uh, this podcast is really about tips tools and tricks what do you think people can do today learning from the great marketers of the past that you know some are still going but what do you think with the digital tools that we have these days with social media how can how can we use it? Cause I'm thinking about that all the time. Like I'm trying to think about these irresistible offers or how we package something. I even did a parody. I had um, my team and I did a parody of an infomercial last year to sell season tickets to our track because I wanted to show all the value that was inside of the package. It's really hard to explain. So I was like, well, let's just try to make it entertaining and do it in an infomercial that we can use on social. But what, what, do you, what do you recommend for people out there to maybe use some of these things? Or what do you recommend how people can use social to maybe use some of these tactics? 
you know, I think I think the the um, the value of testing can't really be underestimated. Right? Okay. So if you if you create something for social, you know, can you um, do several versions and um, and test it with a small percentage of your audience to see what works best before you before you actually post it for everyone to see? Um, I think you know I think that's something that you can really take from infomercials that really is is valuable today. Is that is that emphasis on testing? I think way too many people just create something and put it out there without without thinking um, if, if this is going to work um, and there's really no way that you're going to know that anything is going to work unless you really test it yeah. um, and i think that's hard because it it you know testing by its very nature sort of puts and in, calls into question your ability to make make decisions like you know, I know what works with my audience. I know how to sell this product. Nobody knows this product better than I do. It, it calls into question that, right? Because you're going to, you may not know what the best way to present this, this, this offer to your, to your audience is. Um, so I find that people are kind of sometimes resistant to testing and, and they'll say that, oh, you know, I'm, I, you know, believe in data. Um, but, but um, that's, that's hard, especially for, you know, strong-willed marketing folks, like they don't, you know, it's, it's like, you're, you're saying that I don't know my mark, I don't know how to market my product. Well, I'm not saying you don't know how to market your product. I'm just saying that, you know, you have to be open to the fact that um, there may be different approaches here that you could make and you need to figure out what's going to perform the best. And so why would you not take an advantage to, to you know, to test it? That's, um, that's great advice. And, you know, certainly on the web, it's a little sometimes a little bit harder with social, but certainly on the web, you know, you can be running tests on your website if you're selling a product. I mean, it's, that's so easy to do. There's so many tools to, you know, to, to have, you know, a different offer randomly appear to every visitor who, who hits your website, change out the call to action, you know, maybe adjust pricing. Um, you know, you can, you can adjust it so that it depends on what, how they arrived at your website. So for people who come to my website from Facebook, I'm going to show them this. For people who arrive direct, I'm going to show them this. For people who arrive through, you know, this, this funnel, I'm going to show them, you know, this and, and, and dig into the data and, and, you know, run as many tests as, as you can to, to see what works the best and then take that learning and take it to social. Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, here's my one rapid fire question. Um, what is the book that you gift most often? Uh, Other than your own. Um, whew, that's a tough one. Cause I, I, I have to say, I, I have been purchasing mostly kids books recently <laughs> because I've got, I've got three kids myself and, and uh, my, uh, my sister as well. And so I, I've just been buying a lot of kids books. So um, yeah, I don't have a good answer to that one. Um, what have I purchased recently? Uh, yeah. Or is that, has there been a favorite book over the last couple of years that, that, um, that really struck you and, and probably in the business sense? Good book that I've read in the last couple of years. I mean, I, um, I know it's going to strike really, you like a lightning bolt. Yeah, no, I was going to say I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm a big uh, for you know for for marketing. Um, I'm, I'm a re big fan of a, a. He's a professor, Robert Cialdini. I don't yeah, know if you've ever heard of him? And he's got a, a book called um, um, 
that came out, I guess it was probably, uh, probably three, four years ago. He's had a number of books that have come out, but, right. um, but his books on the psychology of persuasion, yes. how to convince people of things are, I think are, 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 you know, tremendous. It's a tremendous sort of series of books. So I would, I would, I would recommend those if you're kind of really interested in figuring out better ways to sort of influence people and better ways to sort of convince people of, uh, of something. Um, they're, 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 they're tremendous. Excellent. Um, That's, those are great recommendations. And I know you, yeah. you touch on that. In the book. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's really, really, they're really good. Um, yep. Great. Bestsellers. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast and being willing to do this. Um, I'll be putting uh, links to the book uh, in the show notes and um, wish you all the best with uh, the thank coaching so and much. consulting and, and all the writing thank that you. you're, you're to do in the future. So um, where can people find you, Remy, if they want to reach out or if they just want to learn more about what you're doing? Um, if they want to reach out, they can just go to remystern.com and uh, my email address is there. It's R-E-M-Y-S-T-E-R-N.com. Perfect, man. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much again for being on the podcast and sure. uh, catch up with you soon. Great. Thank you. Good to Thanks, talk Remy. to you. Thank you for listening to the Marketing That Works podcast. To find out more and to get the show notes and everything that's going on, go to marketstreet.media. That's where I house this wonderful podcast on the Market Street Media Podcast Network. So thanks, check it out, and we'll see you on the next episode.